0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the Cardinals all night long We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team
1: that we love best We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long
2: We're gonna talk about the Cardinals all night long
0: After after a
2: successful 2021 season and it just ended a little over a week ago, we have determined that we have determined that we have a philosophical difference in the direction that our major league club is going. We feel like at this time that it is best for us to end our partnership with Mike Show. And that voice you heard was John Moselock with uh, breaking news for us today. Hello, this is another edition of Meet Me At Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shopdaw, C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me usually is Alan Medlock, but the new job is keeping him away from tonight. But we've got uh, two for the price of one. We've brought in the guys from Cardinals Off Day. We've got Ben Godar and Ben Humphrey, or we did have Ben Humphrey. I think he just <laughs> Dropped off because his computer issues. We'll have him back in here. But uh, Ben Godar, you'll find him at Ben Godar again. You've got Cardinals Off Day, uh, the podcast, and the, the stack, uh, sub So, Ben, how are you doing tonight?
0: Uh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Daniel, but I did hear you say two for the price of one. I was under the impression that we were getting two checks for this tonight, so maybe you and i I guess that's something we can talk about off air yeah we'll uh,
2: we'll'll we'll, uh, well yeah I, f- I forgot that I was gonna have to um, write the piggy bank to get the big stars on here so uh yeah we'll we'll discuss the the monetary things afterwards um, we've got. Like I said, as we wait for uh, Mr. Humphreys to reboot his machine or whatever yeah. it will take. Him. Yeah, and I just, I just got
0: a text from him. I think he just got booted. He's gonna try to reconnect, so I think he yeah. should be back with us soon.
2: I'm sure we'll, we'll have him on here. We'll, we'll get him properly introduced when he's in here. But um, Cardinals today, out of the blue, and I mean, really, I think more than any decision that they've made in the last maybe 15 years, really out of the blue, Fire Mike Schilt um, from his managerial duties. Now, it fire part ways, mutual decision. I guess it really just depends on how you want to read the the, uh, the press release and the and the re- reading of the room. But Ben, this was weird.
0: Oh, I I think this was a full on firing. I don't think there was any. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> it didn't feel like there was any uh, mutual parting of the ways here. It you know it sounds like. Uh, I mean, you know, there was there was references to you know sort of a conversation that was had after the season, and you know, it sounds like there was uh, some something kind of you know hot come you know coming out of that that mm-hmm. um, you know maybe some of these uh, uh, differences of uh, uh, philosophy that were referred to um, you know pre existed, but it definitely sounds like things came to a head there, and then this decision. Came about in, in quite a here uh, you know quite a hurry.
2: You know, I guess we always we don't always think about the backroom maneuvering, especially with a team like the Cardinals, which doesn't seem like it has a lot of that. But it really felt like Mike Schilt was really on the same page as John Mosellock. I mean, he was hired; John Mosellock hired him, and the idea, of course, at the time was that you know he was a little bit more malleable than maybe Mike Matheny was or whatever that they were at least in some sort of you know similar line of thinking somewhere along the way that verged but I don't think any of I didn't for sure and I don't know that anybody else really felt like there was that issue until this happened so it made it even more surprising
0: well um I don't think it was overt and it Mm -hmm. wasn't It certainly wasn't overt in the way that, uh, you know, things were with Matheny and, you know, you and I were chatting before we started recording and, um, uh, you know, when, when Matheny was fired, it was, uh, it was kind of like, Oh, okay. Today's the day, but you know, like we weren't, I don't think any of us were having questions uh, after that announcement about like, Oh, why? Like, why did they do that? (laughs) Right? Like it was pretty well known, pretty well established. So Um, you know, so this, so, so this was definitely different in that regard. Um, you know, that said, and I I think you framed it, um, in in a way that I would agree with too, that, you know, when Schilt was brought on, I think he, um, you know, there was an expectation that, you know, he was his thinking was in line with the kind of the front office thinking, you know, and at least more so kind of from what, uh, what Matheny had been. But, um, you know, I, I have kind of seen divergences, um, from, you know, where, where I had a sense that maybe, you know, he was doing things that were maybe a little different than what perhaps the front office would have, you know, would have liked. Um, not, not real overt. I mean, I wasn't expecting this. I was pretty surprised by this. But, um, you know, as I look back, I can see kind of maybe, you know, hints of it, I guess. So, um, yeah, I don't know.
2: what And, and again, we're, philosophical differences is a nice little phrase that tells us absolutely nothing. Um, where do you think this might lie? I mean, if you're, if you're, like you said, you're looking back, you can see some hints. Is it, is it how he uses the bullpen? Is it how he was using the starters? Or is it as again, Ben Fredrickson mentioned in the, um, the press center, press conference, there seems to have at least been some tension between him and uh, Mike Schilt and Jeff Albert that right. I don't think we're known about. So, if you were going to put your money down, where would you say that? Or is it none of the above?
0: Well, I think the challenge for us is, you know, we see so little of the mm-hmm. iceberg of what Mike Schilt does. Right. And right. so, um, you know, and, and you're right. I thought when when that was mentioned about the, the, the conflict between... Uh, Shilt and Albert. Yeah, I, I wasn't really aware that that was a source of conflict. It sounds like it definitely was. It sounds like that could have been a major contributing factor here. And there could be all kinds of other, you know, factors and all kinds of other things that, you know, Mike Shilt does that um, are not in line with what the front office wants done that we don't see and that we'll never know about. You know what I mean? So we kind of have to accept those things um, or just accept that we don't we don't necessarily know what those things are. I think we naturally sort of cast our eyes to the on the field decisions, which um, you know, to us seem like such a huge part of what the manager does. Um, I don't think they're as much to the organization um, as they are, but um, that said, uh, and and this is something that I talked about on our last uh, Cardinals off day podcast, Uh, just to me, it it really kind of, I felt like I could see this clearly just even in that one game uh, against the Dodgers. And, you know, to me, you know, Dave Roberts is really the, in a lot of ways, the model of the modern manager. And, you know, Dave, Dave Roberts is really out there executing the game plan of the front office. I mean, just plain and simple. Um, You know, the, the front office has really given him information about, you know, here's, here's the strengths of our guys. Here's here's the strengths of the other guys. You know, here's the game plan. This is what you know, this is what we're going to do. And Dave Roberts executes that. And I, th- I just I felt like you really saw that in, you know, in that game. Um, you know, Max Scherzer, who's this ace level pitcher, you know, he didn't really have it. And Dave Roberts pulled him pretty early. And as much as the broadcasters kind of tried to make it this narrative thing and, oh, boy, I, I wouldn't I don't know if I'd go out there and, you know, Scherzer's probably not happy about this you know, you watch Dave Roberts, it it didn't look like it was a real stressful decision for him, did it? I mean, that was (laughs) just kind of, that was his job. That was the, you know, that was the game plan. He was there executing it. You know, on the flip side, um, you know, Mike Schilt, um, who I think does do that to a large degree, but I think you see a little bit more of that kind of old school model of a a manager, um, you know, that's a little bit more about about heart and about, you know, knowing his guys. And, and this is again, something that we, that Ben and I have talked about a lot. You saw, you saw it so much with Adam Wainwright. I mean, we said several times in the run up to the wild card game, our biggest fear going into that game was that the Cardinals were going to lose that game because Mike Schilt believes that Adam Wainwright is magic. And, you know, he can pitch forever and get them out of, you know, you know, get them out of any jam. And, uh, you know, and I feel like we people used to believe that and people used to approach the game that way. And it's romantic and sometimes it can it can play out that way and it seems um, really exciting when it does. But just generally, that's not the most effective way to manage a team. And, you know, I think we kind of saw that. I mean, it, it, it worked out okay, you know, but he left Wainwright in there too long. He let Wainwright bat for himself, you know, and then he pulled him almost immediately after that. And you just, you saw a little bit more of that kind of, Managing from his gut and um, whatnot there, so again, that's one game. That's a small example. It's in the world of in-game decisions, which I don't think is a huge part of what he does overall. But I think maybe there's a little bit of a microcosm there that tells us just, uh, or, or that, that I guess I'm speculating maybe we can see the kind of thing where you know the front office says, you know, here's this game plan, here's this vision we want executed. You know, in Schilt is perhaps you know going in another direction. So that's, that's my hypothesis anyway. I don't know, Daniel, do you, do you buy it?
2: Oh, I, I completely buy it. I mean, I don't, you know, like I said, it's at least reasonable. Let's put it that way. And I don't know, I don't know that I have an opinion on exactly what happened. So I'm as perfectly willing to go with that as anything else. Um, I know when you were talking in the in your Cardinal off day, you made a point that I didn't pick up on during the game about that moment with Adam Wainwright, where it was basically like Yadier Molina made that decision. Um, is yeah. you know, which I mean, in one on one side, kind of justifies Schilt in the idea of he wasn't planning on taking Wainwright out that early. That's why he let him bat. But on the other side, it's if Yadier Molina sees something about Adam Wainwright and says he needs to go. That's, that's really telling.
0: Um, well, it, did you, I, I'd be curious your read on that too, because, and, and I, I wish that one of the, you know, m- media folks um, who's, you know, who's asking questions and granted, mm-hmm. this would be a hard one to get anyone to give you a straight answer on. But as I watched that interaction play out, it really looked to me like Schilt uh, left Wayne right in Schilt made the decision. I'm going to keep him in. Right. and um you know he didn't move from the dugout there was kind of a beat there was another beat, and then Yachty gets yeah you know it's almost you saw Yachty's shoulders drop and then you saw Yachty kind of stand up and go out and go out to the mound and then you saw Schilt come out of the dugout and so i to me i just i, I mean I'm being a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, but I did sort of s- suspect that you know that was that was yadi making that call a little bit there so.
2: Yeah. And I think that's a very interesting point in retrospect, much more interesting, you know, after today. And we've got Mr. Humphreys back with us. Hello, Ben, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing all right. Uh, Trying a different computer now and it seems to be working a lot better. So uh, we should be good to go.
2: Well, we're still trying to get our hands around this whole firing situation and Ben has been talking about you know his kind of philosophy and ideas of where maybe this the two sides went wrong. Have you got a an opinion on where they may have diverged because they did seem to be at least up until recently fairly much on the same page.
1: Well, and if you listen to John Moselock in the press conference today which I th- I think almost everyone uh, who's listening has probably at least read quotes, uh, if not heard quotes, uh, aside from those uh, that that Daniel has looped in on this podcast. Um, but I found the way that Moselock talked about it to be pretty interesting, because he said the issues really came up within the last week, I think he said five to six days, which To me, just is very surprising, even more surprising than the termination itself, because sometimes with an organization that is not entirely open to the public, things can kind of simmer beneath the surface with respect to how people are doing their jobs. But Mosaylock went out of his way to say, you know, there's nothing off the field. This was a baseball decision. And it was a baseball decision based on, an, on issues and disagreements that arose in the last week. And so, you know, I don't think it was necessarily anything that took place uh, with respect to in-game decisions or even player management or interactions with the front office during the season It sounds like Mike Schilt had a different takeaway from this season and what the St. Louis Cardinals needed to do to be successful in 2022 than what the front office believes the St. Louis Cardinals need to do to be successful next season.
2: And it seems like a lot of people have kind of jumped on the idea that maybe Schilt went and said they need to spend X, Y, Z, or they need to go out and get a shortstop, get a picture, get a whatever. This is what he thought that they really need to look outside the organization. And the, all the front office is much more inclined to promote from within. And that was a bridge too far for the two sides. Mr. Godard, do you think that makes any sense? Is that something that would make a, such a, a divorce? Um, I, I, That wasn't my
0: read on it, listening to the Mm -hmm. press conference. And I I think people are drawing that conclusion because there was a point where you know, Mo was kind of cornered into articulating something about, well, what is this organizational philosophy? You know, like, cause he kept saying this was a, you know, a difference in philosophy. So, and I forget who the, the journalist was that kind of finally pressed him into a corner, just like, well, what is your organizational philosophy? And Mo kind of said, well, we're an organization that believes in having a pipeline from the minor leagues to the big leagues and try to stay internal and help individuals grow and that kind of stuff. Now, if you listen to that on its face, it sounds like he's. It sounds like he's saying yes. We have to promote from in. Yes, we can't go get people from outside the organization. And so I could see how you could lead to that conclusion. But Ben Humphrey, I'm going to throw this over to you because uh, as as a the prime, I think expert in Mo speak, I'd like your take on this. <laughs> but to me, I think that's just him kind of giving a real boilerplate. This is what we believe in. To me, I don't believe that's really the root of what they would have been arguing about. What What do you think?
1: I think it was probably more likely coaches than players um, it was my takeaway. And and there was a question about Albert, and I believe yeah. Mosaic answered with, that was not the sole reason.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and uh, I think that whether it's Albert or the overall structure of the hitting coaches, and we've seen some reporting that, you know, they have, uh, you know, kind of two lieutenants helping Albert. And there was talk of bringing on uh, a former player like a Ryan Ludwig to offer another option on the menu of hitting coaches for players to go to and bounce ideas off of. And it, it, it sounded to me like maybe, Uh, Mike Schilt had specific ideas about how he wanted to structure the coaching staff and the front office uh, did not like those ideas and had very different ones. Um, And it's kind of interesting against the backdrop of Mike Matheny, right? And, you know, there's kind of, they thought they were getting a manager that maybe they could mold and have carry out the front office's vision on the field. And there developed gaps between the front office and Matheny. And then, I mean, Matheny developed gaps between just about everyone and himself, it sounded like by the end. I mean, Yadier Molina was doing Instagram posts against him. <laughs> and, I, you know, I mean, the it was just a really remarkable uh, failure on multiple fronts, by Matheny to have allies To keep him in the job And it felt almost to me like Mose- uh, Mose-Lock would Just kind of looked at this over the last week And was thinking to himself You know I've got another Mike And this one is acting a lot Like the last one And I'm just not going to deal with this And he decided that It was appropriate to end it
2: Do you think that it would have made a difference if Mike Schilt had two years left on his contract. It feels like this was that off season where, okay, he's going into next year. He'd be a lame duck. We've kind of got to extend him to give the authority or we need to do something. If this same situation had come up and they had two years left on the contract, do they try to try to work it out? Do you think?
0: I don't think so because the tone of this and the way this happened, I think Schilt, pissed Mo off. And I think, I think he was getting fired whether he had 10 years and a billion dollars left on his cut. No, but, um, but I also just, I tend to think that what, what managers get paid is so little relative to what players get paid. I have, I just have a hard time believing that, um, you know, uh, I I feel like when a team is ready to cut loose from a manager, it's hard for me to imagine that they're going to stick with them you know, for, for the amount that's left on the contract in the same way that, you know, yeah, if they've got an underperforming player, but they owe them $35 million, some, it's like, then you can kind of understand like, well, all right, you know, like, if we're going to pay them either way, we're just going to keep them around and get some value out of that.
2: Um, Mr. Humphrey, again, like, like, like was said a minute ago, you are pretty much an expert in how the organization promotes itself or speaks itself uh into existence um the two press i've tweeted out earlier today the two different press releases one from mike Matheny, and one from mike schilt um which were very very different press releases um in part maybe because they kind of had the Matheny one worked up and they just had to like drop the days in or whatever <laughs> um you know it had, it had a little bit more time to work on it but even so the quotes for mo in both of them one you know, and the fact that Bill DeWitt was quoted in the Matheny one and he was not quoted in the one from today, much more glowing for a guy for Matheny, who had not the same type of connection to the Cardinal organization that a guy like Mike Schilt does. Was there a lot to read into that, do you think? It's
1: it's tough to say. Um and you know, I have some experience in HR and some experience dealing with the media regarding HR matters. Hmm. And so if you are able to prepare and be ready, um, you get something like the Matheny firing. The Matheny firing just felt like this was all teed up and ready to go. And they uh, implemented it when they felt it was appropriate and you know tore the band-aid off but they knew they were tearing the band-aid off and it just reads like just a coordinated fully thought out uh termination and communication strategy regarding the termination Mm. and you know the other thing to keep in mind is that bill dewitt you know his dad was a baseball guy he's been a baseball guy since 1996 and you know in baseball managers get fired and they get other jobs you know the Joe Torrey <laughs> was no longer with the Cardinals. He got another job and did all right. You, you know what I'm saying? And so
0: did, did he, I didn't really follow his career after he left the Cardinals. <laughs> did things work out okay for him. And, and so like the
1: whole Matheny thing, it just kind of felt like Bill a a baseball guy. And he wanted to signal in a fairly prominent owner amongst mm-hmm. the ownership ranks. Right. And so, right. It really felt like DeWitt and Mosaloc signaling to everyone else, this didn't work out here, but, you know, like, he's a good guy. The thing that was so weird to me about the the two press releases side by side is all of this praise for Matheny's devotion to the Cardinals as an organization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and Matheny was a catcher here for a few years. He was like a, a roving instructor and special assistant uh, to Moselock for a few years. And then he got hired as manager and he, he was manager for too long. Right. And, right. but Mike Schilt got hired like in 2004 by Moselock, and, you know, he was a scout in a, in a coach, a part-time coach. And then he just gradually worked his way up and has done just about every job in the organization. And when you read those side by side and they're praising Mike Matheny for his devotion to the Cardinals, when Mike Schilt's been, you know, with this organization for, you know, 17 years, I guess now, mm-hmm. and has had just about every job and worked his way up through the ranks. And he doesn't get any of that. It it really does seem like, you know, Mike Schilt made a, perhaps an in-your-face type of move toward the front office. And the front office just said, you know, no, you're done here. And did not give him any of the lip service that they gave to Matheny, even though it seemed like Matheny was rubbing players the wrong way and doing things that the front office didn't want him to do, which I would think would rub you the wrong way if you're John Mosellock. I mean, they were bringing in like quality control coaches and Moselock even installed Schilt on the major league staff to be Matheny's in-season replacement. There's no doubt in my mind that he did that. And, you know, and, and Matheny gets all of that kind of fluffy, you know, baseball man speak in, in the press releases and in the press conference. And Schilt, Moselock was straining to not say anything. About Schilt, good or bad. And they even asked him, you know, additional questions in follow up. And I thought the media, I oftentimes criticize the media, folks uh, probably recognize that about me. I thought they did a good job asking questions. And at one point, Mosellock said something along the lines of, My job is to protect like him in relationship to Schilt and employees. And I'm not going to say anymore. If he wants to tell you what the differences are, he can. And I kind of took that to mean that Moselock is trying to protect Schilt due to the nature of what led to the termination, but that he was also perhaps trying to, to protect the coaching staff from exposure as to who he wanted to get rid of or what he wanted to do that was different. And that could potentially apply to players too, but to me it seemed much more structured towards like like the folks we tend to think more of as team employees you know like the coaches as opposed to the players where you know if you're talking about ball players you're going to say players you're not going to say employees and and certainly not if you're the president of baseball operations and so i thought all of that was quite striking because to me it seems like there's you know there is some uh, kind of maybe even disbelief at what, what Schilt did and, yeah, and no appetite to talk about it.
2: Right. I mean, even in the press release, it wasn't, there wasn't even that throw away. We thank you for a service, you know, or we thank you for for the last three years or blah, blah, blah. It was like, uh, no, we're going the different direction. And that was it. So that was, that was very strange. Um, yeah. Mr. Godar, you know, as, as Mr. Humphreys was saying, that does seem to make s- some sense with the staff. It's very interesting because, am, am I wrong? I think every one of those guys was hired by Mo and not necessarily by Schilt, which is not exactly common, I guess, in a, in a coaching staff, although becoming more common as the front office takes a bigger hand. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I think
0: Pop Warner is a guy who had kind of coached with him or he was kind of a longtime yeah. system guy. So I feel like he kind of came up, but he's, I mean, he's the only one that I can really, you know, th- really think of. I mean, and, you know, and some of them, it's a it gets into a gray area because of course Schilt's kind of a long time, you know, come up through the system right. guy and a few of the other guys sort of, you know, fit into that as well. But no, I think I think you make a good point. I mean, you know, Mike Maddox, certainly Jeff Albert, um, you know, uh, uh, Ali Marmol is kind of in that system guy kind of mold. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's there's not a lot of kind of hand-picked Schilt guys in there, I guess. So, um, but but I also think maybe that's that's just maybe a little more of the dynamic of the world that we're that we're living in as well, and and that's something that. I've just noticed in looking at kind of people's reaction to this, I just, I think that the, what it means to be a major league baseball manager now is so different. And it's, it, it's so different than it was, you know, even I think five to 10 years ago, but definitely like, you know, 20 years ago. And, um, but I, I still see some people who I think just still think of it in these kind of old school terms, you know, and I've, I've seen people on Twitter and stuff saying like, oh, you know, they need to go out and, you know, get somebody with experience or something like that. And I just think, you know, like they're, you know, the Cardinals are not going to go out and hire Buck Showalter folks. Like mm-hmm. this is not what's going to happen, you know, no. like this, it's just, it's really evolved kind of what goes into these kind of things. And so, um, it, anyway, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see where they go forward, but I think you make a good point about, um, yeah, this, it's a staff that really, in a lot of ways, it's, it's a staff that Mo has put together. Yeah.
1: And. and- and to uh, Ben Godar's point, you know, the there's been some buzz about, you know, who the Dodgers are starting in game five or started in game five, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Dave Roberts was asked uh, who made the decision. And Roberts just said point blank, this came from the tippy top of the organization. <laughs> <laughs> and... It's really astounding because that's a tactical decision, right? Like right. that is that is just completely in the bullseye of a field manager's purview for a major league baseball team who is starting Game Five and elimination game in the postseason, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know the Dodgers are having the front office say, uh, well, he's starting. you know, and the manager is saying, okay, and we're not going to have one of our Cy Young candidates start. It is what this means. And uh, which is flies in the face of like traditional baseball manager tactics. And so uh, I think you're also seeing this in San Francisco and, and, you know, everyone who is lamenting the death of the Earl Weaver type manager, the Tony La Russa type manager, I mean, look around. Who is left in the postseason that has that type of setup going on in terms of the management of uh, their Major League Baseball team? And I, I don't think there is anyone.
0: No. And Ben, that's kind of the point just when you were off briefly, that was sort of the point that I that I was thrown out there is that's the one thing to me that I feel like from on field stuff, I feel like is maybe a hint at kind of some of the broader disagreement. And and I love your comparison there, because I, I agree, I think. Schilt sort of seems like he aspires to be that Earl Weaver type guy. And that's just, that's not who that that's not what the job of a major league baseball manager is anymore. You know?
2: so Yeah. Uh, it's, and that is, I mean, it's gotta be hard. I mean, cause heck Schilt came up under an Earl Weaver, right. when he was shining shoes in the Baltimore Orioles uh, system, um, I'm sure he got a, a firsthand look at Weaver and, uh, and, you know, he's the, uh, disciple to some degree of tony the russo as well so yeah well and uh, thanks
0: to randy or rosarina we know that he he learned to cuss like earl weaver too
2: absolutely <laughs> uh, uh, which may or may not be why he's in tampa bay but um probably not but um, so i guess the question maybe is does mike schilt have to turn in his george kissel notebooks when he leaves the cardinal organization <laughs> um
0: i think ben it, humphrey it, has to answer that
1: yeah <laughs> well, well as someone who
0: refers to it as the gospel
1: of kissel um i we know for a fact that uh one of kissel's relatives and off the top of my head i cannot remember if it was his son or his grandson i think it was his son brought it to mike schultz and allowed mike Schult to make a copy so mike schultz does not have the original uh king james version of the george kissel notebook <laughs> Um, but he, uh, he has a copy of it. So I assume he will keep that. Um, and I've also long assumed that, that, that notebook is why Tommy Edmund, uh, batted lead off, you know, down the stretch. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, but the more interesting thing, and I saw Jeff Passan, uh, touched on this, but, you know, the Cardinal way is a George Kissel joint. You you know what I'm saying? And so... Uh, it seems to me as if, uh, and, and I have long believed that even that phrase is meaningless now. It's just an empty vessel into which anyone pours what they want the Cardinals to be into that <laughs> and, call, and calls it the Cardinal way, usually pejoratively. Um, but I think very clearly uh, the Cardinal way is looking more and more like the the Dodger way or the Ray's Ray or the Raysway, excuse me. Uh, you know, it, it seems to me like John moselock got a taste, a, a very salty taste of the Earl Weaver style manager and Tony La Russa and decided he didn't want that. Mike Matheny wanted that type of setup and that got him shown the door. And now perhaps Mike Schult wanted that type of setup as well. And he's no longer with the organization. And so... You know, I think Moselock is making it very clear that the next manager of the St. Louis Cardinals is going to be someone who's going to do what John Moselock tells him to do.
2: Yeah. Our, our good friend, I know, friend of your podcast, uh, Alex Christofoli, um, put out on Twitter, and I think it's also on today's Chirps podcast that got recorded after the news was broken, um, that he feels that they have to completely nail the, the hire for whoever replaces Schilt. Um, is John Moselock feeling a little bit of a pressure to make sure this is a really good hire? Because, you know, this is an organization that doesn't typically run through managers and yet John Moselock is hiring his third one, um, in a fairly short amount of time. Um, if this goes South, does John Moselock go South?
0: Well, uh, Alex is is a friend of our pod as well, and I I love Alex, but I am going to disagree with him a little bit here because I and not that I don't think it's important, of course, that they make Mm -hmm. a hire, but I just don't think it's as I don't think it's important in the same way that it once was, and Mm -hmm. you know I think back to you know when the Cardinals hired Whitey Herzog. And uh, shortly after they hired him, they also, uh, they, they fired the general manager and Whitey took over the general manager role as well. <laughs> and he, he held that role for about six months and he, he remade the team and he, he made all the trades that essentially created the Whitey Ball Cardinals. And so, uh, you know, basically, you know, Whitey was, you know, hanging out in his golf cart and calling the other GMs and saying, hey, how about this guy for this guy? And, you know, bada bing, bada bing, over about two or three months, he made it happen. That was the new team. He got the players that he felt in his gut were going to play uh, winning baseball, given the weirdness of playing in that, uh, you know, giant, hot, astroturfed, uh, you know, version of Bush Stadium that they were playing at in 1982. And his gut was dead on. And, you know, he, he created a great team and, you know, they were fantastic. And we love Whitey. We love that team. But, um, you know, again, to, to, to imagine that being the way that a team is going right. to be together now, you know, that's not really the way it's going to be put together now. And so but I, I bring that up because um, I think you know, in that kind of a world you're, where your manager of your team is such an enormous figurehead. And of course, Whitey ascending to the level of also being your general manager. But even then you think about the managers, you know, like a Bobby Cox or, you know, some of these kind of, you know, uh, you know, guys through the you know, 80s and 90s and early 2000s, you know, where the, the manager was really this uh, force driving an organization. Um, You know, I I think a baseball manager, I think they're middle managers at this point Um, and which sounds mostly pejorative. And I think, you know, largely is, but I think it can also still be important. Um, But, um, you know, they're they're more there to, I think, in a lot of ways, execute uh, a strategy and a philosophy that's been put together by, uh, you know, uh, somewhere between 20 and 200 Ivy League graduates in the front office and, um, you know, and I think they, it's still important that they have a lot of other skills, but I think they tend to be more interpersonal skills and just other kind of management skills that we don't even see. So to that end, I feel like, I don't know if it's, I don't know that the hire needs to be, um, I think they need to do those things well, but I don't think it needs to be splashy. I don't think it needs to be, um, you know, um, I, I think it can almost be someone who's more of a, you don't really see them, you know, like, uh, and again, just to go back to Dave Roberts, I mean, do people, people aren't writing articles about how great Dave Roberts is, right. are they? But Dave Roberts team is absolutely the best team in baseball. So, I mean, that's kind of my take on that.
2: Yeah. And and that brings me to a bit of a tangential question. I'll throw it to Mr. Humphreys with the decline of the powerful personality manager, if you will, does that, also a decline in managers making the Hall of Fame? Because it's really hard to think about any of these guys, you know, having that kind of pull to be a guy that you think, oh, he needs to be in Cooperstown.
1: Well, I think it's gonna be and I'm gonna kinda take your question, I'm gonna get to the manager part, but I think it's gonna be really interesting to see how general managers start to mm-hmm. get considered for Cooperstown because they're going to be, or presidents of baseball operation, whatever the inflated title is nowadays. Right. Um, and, and it seems like the titles are going to keep uh, inflating. Uh, the New York times had a really good kind of graphic and article about job titles and major league baseball
2: front offices that I found also kind of funny because it's just kind of absurd. Um, Emperor of Lation is probably coming up next for Mo.
1: Yes. And so it's, uh, you know, with the the people in these roles having such a larger uh, influence on the way the game is played on the field, are more of them going to get Hall of Fame consideration? Like, if Theo Epstein is a field manager who managed the Red Sox and then managed the Cubs to World Series championships, breaking both curses, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, right? Right. right. But should he be because he did that from a front office uh, position? And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves. And I also think that as if we're going to put more general manager types or, or front office leaders in, I think you are going to see, you know, probably fewer managers qualified because they're going to be seen more as implementers of strategies and tactics that are dictated to them by people who are smarter than them and understand what is successful in baseball better than they do. And I don't think there's really any denying that the people who are running these numbers have a better idea in most cases than some of these old school managers. Now, you know, Weaver, we've talked a lot about him. He certainly valued the three run home run uh, right. before a lot of folks do and probably more than Mike Schilt does. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I I offer that caveat that there are a lot of great managers who know how to win baseball games, um, but sort of this, this uh, you know, venture capital Harvard business injection into professional sports. And and you see it in the NBA uh, very much so. The the NBA that you watch nowadays is just completely different than the one that we grew up with. And the same is true of baseball. And there are similarities in the way that they're different. And those similarities are because uh, people who are looking at the game for efficiencies and through a different lens have found ways to be more effective at winning. With tactics on the court, and they're dictating more of those tactics to the coaches who used to reign supreme, and it's a real interesting dynamic to see as it has evolved. And I think you could probably argue that maybe uh, Billy Bean is kind of the the first of the front offices to kind of go down into the field manager's office and say, you know, we're doing this. Yeah, because it's going to help us win and in a real, in a way that is really different from the way that baseball has been played in the past.
2: Yeah, that's, that is true. And it's going to be very interesting to see how it continues to evolve. Maybe they'll just, you know, hook the iPad straight up and just get rid of the manager entirely uh, at some point in time. Um, I want to loop back to one thing I've listened to, to, to at least the first part of the the press conference today. And I don't remember who asked the question, but it was basically something along the lines of, you know, when did this happen? Why is this happening? Whatever. And it was kind of, I think Mo said something to the fact that the fissure had maybe started, you know, over a little bit of time, but that it was brought to his something to the fact of it was brought to his attention fairly recently. And it kind of made it sound like he got some information from a Different point of view, like maybe this wasn't just all John Moselock That, well, for for lack of a better term, maybe somebody threw Mike Shield under the bus. Um, so you're saying and, there was a snitch? Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, maybe we should go look around for the guy that has stitches now. I don't know, but um, it just is that. I mean, because we kind of have looked at this a lot, like it was John Moselock versus Mike Shield, because this does feel like a much more of a mo yeah. decision than a bill dewitt decision it was kind of like mo called bill dewitt up and said hey we're having a press conference today and you ought to be there um but is there is there a is there a fissure perhaps in the whole clubhouse or organization that's gonna maybe rival that jockety ludnow uh one that was at the front office I,
0: I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, someone asked during the press conference, you know, basically have any, have you had conversations with any players or has Mm -hmm. kind of any feedback from players led to this? And, and Mo kind of said, I I don't want to talk about any conversations I've had with players, which, which was the kind of response that I, 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 you know, it could go either way. I don't think we know, you you know, what that, what that meant. Um, but I, it will be interesting to see, um, you know, um, over the coming months, if, if anything, you know, kind of, you know, leaks out uh, just in terms of if, you know, players had that kind of attitude or not. But um, but I think, honestly, the the Lunau comparison you make there, that was one of the first places that my mind went to when this whole thing mm-hmm. happened. Um, because to me, that was a moment where the, um, you know, the Cardinals uh, and specifically the, the Jockety firing, they, they fired somebody who it wasn't clear that they needed to fire. Um, and, you know, and they they fired somebody who I think to in overall seemed like they were still doing their job well, but they were preemptive and said, this is not heading in the direction we want to head. And, um, and and I mean, I think I've very specifically complained on our podcast about them not doing that over the last few years and wishing they were a little more ahead of the curve. So. Uh, in that way, I'm almost hopeful that maybe there is something there and, and whatever this kind of the the specifics of this, um, you know, philosophical disagreement was um, that this is a case of them getting out ahead of that and saying, you know what, well, this is not heading the direction we want to go. And we have a clear idea of the direction we do want to go. And so, you know, that is why we're elevating Jeff Albert to supreme emperor of all on-field <laughs> operations.
2: Uh, which will go over great. That's fine, um, Mr. Humphrey. What do you? I mean, is that in line with what you're thinking too?
1: Well, I mean, I think that we probably need to see Tommy Edmonds phone records because we know he doesn't <laughs> keep anything private. He's more than
2: happy to talk about it. So
1: he might have a press conference tomorrow. Uh, but since, but he's not so, going
2: to throw Mike Schilt under the bus because then he won't be leading off.
1: Yes, uh, but he he uh, he did seem to to kind of go after. Uh, albert a little bit true, uh, true. during the season so he would probably be in the schilt faction uh but i i don't know if there's going to be a fisher because i feel like um Mose-Loc was brought on after the jockety firing and he bridged the gap in mm-hmm. in the organization between lunao and then the old school jockety guard of the front office and that's something that has been pretty much uniformly reported. And so if you're going to be able to bridge that gap, which at that point in time, I mean think about, you know, the the get out of your mother's basement nerds, like sports writer <laughs> po or columns about bloggers and like dial that to 11. And you're going to have an idea of of how old baseball guys in the mid 2000s were reacting to Ivy League guys coming in and telling them how they were going to you know draft and do player development. I mean that's that is a war of uh, with a no man's land in it, and John Mozeliak occupied no man's land and eliminated the trenches. Uh, and so uh, that is a very impressive accomplishment. Uh, from a professional perspective, and, and he built what was roundly considered to be, you know, the best organization in baseball there in, in the mid-2010s, you know, uh, seven, eight years ago uh, after doing that. And now the, the team kind of finds itself trying to keep up with the way the game is evolving. And I think Mosellock thought that he had that in Schilt. But I think what we we could all take away from the season is that the players really respected the coaching staff, and it sure seemed like they were all rowing in the same direction. So the idea that someone might be at odds with Schilt, again, I come back to. I think it almost certainly probably had to do uh, with hitting approach. But something that we haven't talked about because the question was framed around Albert, but something that I wonder about is, Mike Maddox. I mean, how many Cardinals pitchers have improved under Mike Maddox's tutelage? You know, there. I can't think of any, to be honest with you. John Lester didn't, despite what some of the St. Louis media establishments' reporting would have you believe. He didn't get better. He just got a little bit luckier on balls in play because he was playing in front of a great defense. Hap was maybe a little bit better, but. You know, again, you're just coming in and getting late thirties veterans and telling them to throw strikes and play to their defense. You know, the 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 other side of that is how many youngsters have come up and and really blossomed under him. I think maybe you could argue, you would have a good argument, excuse me, with uh, Giovanni Gallegos. Um, but it's it's interesting to me because the part of the Cardinals' approach that I thought could maybe use the most tweaking was actually not Jeff Albert, but it was the pitching staff because there didn't seem to be really an approach either tailored to a player or overall that seemed to come through and was effective for this team, uh, this year. And so, uh, you know, there's also some potential for perhaps disagreement within the organization about what they're doing with respect to pitcher development and then also breaking pitchers into the majors.
2: Yeah, and I can't – I'm trying to quickly find – I can't see if – I can't remember if Maddox's contract is up or it's got – if they extended it or whatever the case may be. If this is a situation where Mike Schilt wanted – Maddox gone, and the front office didn't. Does that kind of, I think right now the narrative, for whatever it's worth, uh, kind of feels like maybe she'll overstepped his bounds. But could it be that you know this is overstepping on the on the front office's uh, point of view too of, of trying to keep people around that maybe shouldn't be kept around.
0: Well, I I mean, I I think it's really interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Mike Maddox, but but Daniel, I would almost wonder if it wasn't the other way around that maybe the front office was perhaps looking to move on from Maddox Mm -hmm. Um, because that's something that I know Ben and I have talked about that I think is really interesting. Just when you look at, you know, I mean, the hitting and the pitching coach are, you know, the, you know, I mean the offensive and defensive coordinator, right. You know, they're the kind of, you know, the, the top two coaches under your manager and so if you think about what is the organizational philosophy of the St. Louis Cardinals, well, for their hitting coach, they brought in this, you know, young guy from the Astros, um, you know, considered like extremely like cutting edge kind of, um, you know, very uh, who has a very clear, specific philosophy for what he wants hitters to do, what he wants an organizational approach to be um, and is going to implement that at the Major League level as well as throughout the organization. Okay. That's what they're doing on the hitting side. On the pitching side, they have uh, a, a nice guy who likes to put his hand on guy's shoulders and reassure them. Okay. Those, those two things don't line up. Those don't seem philosophically in line to me. So I've kind of wondered for a while, well, when are they going to bring them in line? And I always thought it was more likely that they would find a hitting coach who was more like Jeff Albert than it was that they would or excuse me, a pitching coach who was more like Jeff Albert than it was that they would, you know, go hire a hitting coach that was more like Mike Maddox.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Um And it very well may be. I know that, you know, after the game against the Dodgers, there was that, I, you know, I think Mo even said he kind of planned to bring everybody back. But that's kind of one of those things you say, because you don't say, oh, yeah. And by the way, we're going to like, magmatics go you know it's not really what you say at the after the after game press conference but it does i mean it very well and, and, it, and it
0: may not game. have even been letting him go but it might have been we're going to bring in a, a you know pitching you know quality yeah. control coach and we're gonna you know we're gonna restructure how we do our you know what i mean it could have been right moving in that direction because, you know, they, they might like Mike Maddox and, and, and there certainly might be a lot of things that Mike Maddox does really well. And they may, you know, maybe they do want to stick with him, but I could certainly see some potential, you know, philosophical changes there. So who knows? Um, it will be really interesting to see, you know, yeah. If, if there are changes in the staff, that seemed like that could definitely give us some insight into what the friction was. um, The
2: Cardinals, you know, Mo said that there were internal options. We've talked about, you know, there's Ollie Marmol, there's Stubby Clap right there in, on the staff that could take that spot. Are they, if they hire somebody like that, does that even make this even stranger? Because it feels like, you know, his, unless there was some sort of real conflict between those guys and Schilt, that you're kind of just kind of trading one problem for another. What do you think, Mr. Humphrey?
1: Um, I I think that you are going to see Moselock appoint someone as manager who he is comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, trading problems for another, you know, there's a pretty good argument that Mike Schilt is as comfortable as John Moselock could ever be with a hire um, just because of their history and how long it is the number of jobs Schilt has had and their familiarity with one another because of those, uh, you know, that history and the, and the form that it took. Um, now, that being said, you know, Clapp has gotten interviews. Marmol has been touted as a future manager. Um, and even some of the surveys where they, they take surveys of front office types of who's going to be a good manager uh, in the big leagues who isn't yet. And you'll see a Marmol and you'll see a clap uh, on those lists. And so I think part of it could also be that Moselloc feels like they have a viable manager who understands the clubhouse, has good relationships with the players, and is going to be on board with the organizational philosophy. And so why go outside the organization when we have guys who are going to be major league managers uh, in the near future why not have them replace Mike Schilt? And it this this whole situation, frankly, I feel like it almost reflects the the point that a lot of people who write about baseball for a living have made and it's there's only 30 of these jobs. And so the idea that if you aren't happy with this guy, you would keep him for any reason is absurd because there are, you know, five times as many guys vying for these jobs. So why wouldn't you cycle through managers like you would hitting coaches? Right. And and under the old model, yeah, under the old model with the Earl Weaver type, I get it. But under the new model, why not? You know,
0: well, and I was going to say, yeah, and I saw several people on Twitter today essentially say like, geez, you know, they kept Matheny around for like seven years. It's like, well, yeah. And and, and thank goodness they learned, you know, that's <laughs> not what you that's not what you do. And so they, you know, they made the different choice this time and they made the, the correct choice. But um, I'm going to I'm going to tell uh, I'm going to tell listeners right now that they're going to hire Ali Marmol. That's who they're going to hire. And I think there's a very small dark horse chance that they hire Skip Schumacher. And I think those are the only two possible candidates because they're going to hire somebody who they're very uh, comfortable with. They've used that bench coach role or the, which is kind of a a variation of the quality control role that Mike Schilt was in. That's the guy that they're grooming to step in, to take that. So um, I know that um, Stubby Clap has managed at the AAA level and had interviews and is a pretty high level candidate, but I, I think Marmol clearly is ahead of him internally. So I think Marmol is the internal candidate Schumacher um, has been really highly praised in a a pretty sophisticated uh, San Diego uh, organization. And so given that, along with the fact that he, you know, has enough connections inside St. Louis, um, I think he's the only other potential candidate. Um, That's what I think. Anyway, what do you guys think?
1: Ben? Well, I have long... Uh, When they hired Matheny, uh, I was hoping that Mark McGuire would get more consideration um, Mm -hmm. than what he seemed to get uh, because he didn't seem to get much. Um, And so I I would really enjoy them hiring or at least interviewing Mark McGuire. Uh, But that being said, uh, McGuire has not been with the organization for what about eight years now. And so it would surprise me to see them, despite his familiarity with the organization, kind of bring him in, uh, just due to the lack of familiarity with where the organization is right now. Um, and I don't know about Skip Schumacher. I really think it's between Clapp and and Marmol. Um, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I, 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 you know, maybe Schumacher is uh. A a dark horse, but it just it sure seems to me like they're going to promote from within again.
2: I, and I think you're right. I think I think yeah. If I was going to have to put money on anything, I would put it on Marmol. But you know, I wrote a post back in August about how the Cardinals could probably use some outside influence, um, just because it feels like it's becoming a lot of an echo chamber. Um, at least if you go get Schumacher, at least he's been in another organization recently and maybe has a different, slightly different approach while being able to mesh it to the the cardinal way, whatever that may be. Um, but you're right. I, I just, I think that that's absolutely the case. And especially as we're talking about with managers now it doesn't really matter too much who you put in that spot as long as they listen to what the front office says. Um, so why go out and have to, you know, try to hire somebody away from another organization when you can just promote from within. I it's I told Alan on the direct messaging, I was just a little bit surprised they didn't just announce Ali Marmol today yeah. um, because, and you know, and Alan had the point that at least it doesn't make Marmol look like the bad guy or, you know, being, you know, he was forcing out shields or anything of that nature. And I well, guess we'll also it, have to see how loyal those guys were to shield too.
0: Yeah. And it also doesn't make Marmol look like the interim. That's just, you know, there mm-hmm. to fill in because we needed somebody, but, but um no, Daniel, I think that's a really good point that you make. And I think that's the, to me, that's the most interesting, um, counter argument to the, the Mozeliac philosophy, which is I want a manager to do the bidding of the front office. And that's the, the idea that, that you suggested of, you know um, you know, getting out of that echo chamber. And, and Mm -hmm. um, I, I, to me, that's, you know, I think that's a valid question. And, you know um, you know, do you want a, you know, a manager who, you know, brings some of that kind of, you know, creative tension to play I don't know. I mean, Tony La Russa certainly gave you that, and that's certainly something that old school managers brought. So, on the one hand, I can kind of cast my gaze back to some of those situations and say, "Well, yeah, I see I see that, and and maybe it would be helpful if we had more of that." But at the same time, I don't know if that's just kind of a, a vestige of, you know, how things worked then. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Because um, I think you could also just look at that and say, boy, that's pretty inefficient, you know, like <laughs> to have your, your manager and your front office fighting <laughs> and, you know, your, yeah. your front office acquiring players that your manager is then not putting in the lineup and things like that. You know, that's, you're not, you're not firing on all cylinders at that point.
2: Yeah. Well, I and- mean, it, it kind of worked for the 70, you know, 73 A's or whatever, when they're fighting Finley, but, uh, probably not so much anymore.
1: Yeah. And, I, you know, I was uh, in some of the coverage of the situation with the Padres, and they were, they were going back to when they announced uh, the hiring of, of Tingler. And, uh, you know, someone asked if he would be a puppet of the front office. And I laughed out loud at that question, because I was trying to think of another corporate entity, where someone would criticize the hiring of a middle manager as being the puppet of the people he reports to. Like, of course he's a puppet to to the front office. Like, I mean, not a puppet, but you know, he is in the chain of command. He is beneath people and he needs to do what he's told. you know, that's how organizations run. And, you know, this is just a situation where, You know, Major League Baseball has run in a different way for a long time, uh, you know, because managers used to be with the team and they traveled by train, you know, (laughs) like, like, you know, they have iPads in the dugout now. And it's the amount of technology involved. There's no reason that front offices, especially with the resources they have, should not be having a greater influence especially because if you're the president of baseball operations or you're the general manager, you're going to get fired if your manager is not effective. And so yeah. why on earth would you want a manager who's going to butt heads with you and fight you on stuff? It makes no sense whatsoever. And if I were John Mosellock, uh, if I were Michael Gersh, I would absolutely not want a Tony La Russa. I would want someone who's more like Dave Roberts and there, and there's a whole laundry list of reasons why.
2: Yeah. Somebody on my Twitter mentions today pointed out how, how rare is it to these days for a guy, a a GM or a president of baseball operations to be able to hire three managers. Right. Because usually by the second one, you know, but if you're getting around to your third manager, you're probably not there to do that. So um, the cardinal organization is a little different in that regard, but Um, And it helped, of course, that Tony the Rooster was retiring and not was it fired. But um, yeah, I think this is obviously a different era and a different different situation than what we've seen in the past. Um, We've talked a little bit about what the Cardinals might do next. What does Mike Schilt do next? Um, Does his, you know, devotion to the Gospel of Kissel or whatever um, make him a possible choice in... Another organization. I know there were some people that were talking about the Mets or the Padres. I cannot imagine Mike Schilt in New York. Um, that just is <laughs> in that media scrum. But does he manage again in the big leagues? What do y'all think? I I think no,
0: and I don't think that's a reflection on him. I think that's a reflection on what this job is now. And I think yeah. that um, you just uh, you, you're not we're not in the world where once you've been elevated to manager, you're, you're this celebrity, you know, property who now is going to, you know, shuffle to other, you know, similar jobs. And I think most organizations, I mean, Jace Tingler, we just brought up, right. And I know he just got fired, but I mean, that that's, that's the mold. That's, that's, those are the kind of guys that become managers now. And it's, you know, it's these kind of guys that come up in their organizations. So, um, I mean, it's possible, but, um, you know, and I'm sure he'll work in baseball somewhere. He's worked in baseball his whole life. He seems like he generally gets along with people and stuff, um, and, you know, and, and yeah, it's possible, but my guess would be no. I don't know. What do you think, Ben?
1: Uh, I think he will. I think he will manage. He, you know, he is fired today with a higher winning percentage than Tony Larusa. Now it's over a lot shorter period of time, yeah. but he, he took over a team. That was frankly in disarray and immediately straightened them out and and did a good job with them. He led the Cardinals through the COVID season uh, last year, which wasn't just a disaster. And I honestly, I was looking at that and I was like, how do you even get a group of guys to stick together with the eyes on the prize, given the gauntlet that they had to run after the COVID outbreak? And he did it. Um, and this year he stayed with them and, you know, to a person, the players were very positive in their assessments of him. And so I think he will get another chance. Um, you know, and honestly, San Diego makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but I, I think another organization, uh, if it's not the Padres and I totally agree with you, like Mike Schilt with the New York media would be not good. Um, <laughs> Uh, but also with with some of the ties to the Cardinals organization, Baltimore is interesting. Um, but, you know, we'll just have to see because if you if you are an organization who is hiring Mark, Mike Schilt, you're hiring a manager of the year uh, who's a winner. And so I think if you're going to hire him, you're going to be an organization with a youngish trending team that's on the upswing. And you know, those pop up every few years. So I, I think he will get another chance. Um, And I think he'll be successful again when he gets that chance, because, and this is something that is very hard to keep in mind when you're watching games and the manager is doing stupid things like bunting or batting Edmund lead off is Mike Schilt is very good at managing people and players. And, you know, he, he, he managed the kind of the downswing of Matt Carpenter's career, the downswing of Dexter Fowler's career, while breaking in, you know, Edmund and some of the younger outfielders. And that's not easy to do. And he did it because baseball is a culture of veteran provingness. And he allowed the veterans to prove that they can fail. And they shouldn't be playing, and he negotiated that in a way that was effective and kept everyone in the same on the same page while doing it, uh, so that they they didn't make the clubhouse toxic while he was taking away their playing time, and that's that's a difficult uh, tightrope to walk without rubbing people the wrong way and keeping the team uh, rowing in the same direction, and he was able to do it, and I think that's a skill set that you don't know if a guy has if he hasn't ever managed before and shilt has shown that he can do it and so i think he has definite appeal um and i think he will get another job um just because he can win and he can manage players now you know whether or not he kind of evolves and grows from this the way that Mathenia has pretended to evolve and grow from his termination you know we'll see but that's going to have to be the way that he talks about it and uh, i think if he really and he seems like a thoughtful guy who's capable of that type of introspection so you know i i think he'll interview well and i think he's he's going to be a candidate for jobs in the future and he'll he'll get hired
2: it is probably pretty telling that the cardinals didn't have any of the Colton Wong type situations under Mike Schilt. I mean, any anything that, you know, anytime they might have been rubbed the wrong way by the manager, it, it at least stayed in-house, um, which is more than we can say uh, beforehand. I mean, he never did seem to lose the clubhouse. You're right, especially in such so, some tough situations uh, from last year and everything of that nature. Um, we've gone a little over an hour. Um, I, you know, we didn't talk about anything else and that's understandable and, and unfortunate because I think we could have, uh, you know, the, the arbitration salaries were, a, a big, big thing for us to talk about, you know, uh, I know that people were just dying to hear a breakdown of arbitration salaries, but, um, I don't want to keep y'all all night long. So any just final thoughts on, or anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to mention in regarding to this shield thing, I'll, Mr. Gretter, I'll let you go first.
0: Um, you know, I think we've touched on a lot of it, um, you know, um, I, I, would say that I'm, uh, I'm a, I mean, I'm a little sad, you know, I wasn't sad the day Mike Matheny got fired. I was, um, what's the opposite of sad, happy. <laughs> That's what I was. I was happy that day. Um, you know, I, um, I've really been a fan of Mike Schilt just kind of as a person, um, you know, just seems like a, a night, uh, seems like a nice guy. Um, I, I really liked his story. Just, you know, a guy who loved baseball, Um, you know, a a baseball lifer, as they say, but, but especially, you know, a guy who was, you know, like a fringe college player with no professional experience, but, you know, kept working at it, you know, found his way in and kind of, you know, worked his way up. I, I, I liked that. And, um, you know, so I've, I've been rooting for, um, you know, I've been rooting for him. And, you know, I think if he had, you know, succeeded and continued to succeed, I would have been really, you know, happy to see him manage the Cardinals, you know, for a long time. And, you know, the first couple years he was in the position, I was, you know, pretty, uh, you know, pretty happy with the job that he did. You know, uh, over, I'd say this last year, especially to me, some of those, some of those cracks kind of showed and to me, it really, it just all fell into that, you know, him still kind of subscribing to a little bit of that old school kind of, what the manager's role is and just to, feeling to me like he was just a little bit of a man out of time, not a bad person, you know, um, but just that the the job that he was trying to do was not really the job that should be the manager's role anymore. And to me, it feels like the the Cardinals recognize that. And that's, you know, part, at least partly why this happened.
2: Mr. Humphrey. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, this to me is a very interesting development because it felt like the Cardinals were positioning themselves uh, to have all of their ducks in a row to work on improving the major league roster for next season, and so you know they they signed Yadi, they signed Wainwright, and it felt like just the traditional Cardinals offseason where Moseleylock goes and extends the veterans he wants. Gets the manager and the coaching staff taken care of, and then goes out and and adds players as he sees fit in free agency and the trade deadline. And so this uh, really took me by surprise. Um, and I that's a, a word you see a lot of folks using: shocked, surprised, and and I was certainly that. And and like Ben, I was a little bit sad because you know I liked Shilp Um, And I liked that he was positive, and I thought that suited the team well this year, and I think it would suit the team well over a 162-game season. Uh, But I think it's really interesting, it's going to be very interesting to see not only who they hire, but any other changes that they make uh, in terms of the organizational structure, Uh, and with the coaching staff, but also with the Major League roster, because you have to assume that at least some of those changes are changes that Mike Schilt was not on board with.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, you know, I'll be very interested to learn, if we ever do, uh, what ultimately led uh, Moselok to basically, within a week, decide to fire Schilt it just it really blows my mind that this happened and it uh has really thrown us all a curveball for this offseason because i don't think any of us expected this to happen uh let alone to happen within about a four-week time period it sounds like is mosaic's goal
2: yeah i mean just kind of yeah really a, a a surprise you know something that nobody knew nobody even John Mosellock didn't have any idea a week ago and somebody pointed out on Twitter it's very possible John Moselock and Mike Schilt woke up this morning and didn't realize that Mike Schilt was gonna be fired um today Uh, it just feels like it's been that quick it's a little bit surprising also the Cardinals made such an effort I mean you having to go to the major league baseball and saying look we want to make this announcement even in the middle of the playoffs um instead of waiting until the day after the world series or something like that um and I also find it very interesting just because the Cardinals are on that verge of having a number of young players come up. Um, some have already done so. Some are on, are on the way that we, we expect to see a, a Gorman or a Libertor or, or others maybe next year. And Mike Schulte came up with through the minor leagues. And, and while he didn't necessarily work with those guys, he had a very good reputation of working with young players. And so to make this change at a time when there may be a little bit of a you know influx of young people is is a little bit interesting as well, and maybe that's part of the philosoph- philosophical difference. Way we, we won't know. I feel like there's enough media people around that at some point we'll get a bigger picture of this. It may be, you know, February. It may be a year from now or something of that nature. I think we'll finally get to know a little bit more, and I look forward to seeing if and when Mike Schilt. You know, makes a statement or sits down with a reporter or something like that. But um, all in all, I agree. I, I'm, I'm with you all. I I had no problems with Mike Schilt for the most part. I mean, you know, and not any more than in, you have with any other manager. And I appreciate, especially after coming. After, you know, from the previous manager, the idea that he would, you know, hey, look, this didn't work out. And you're right. He was relentlessly positive, but he would also explain it from a baseball point of view. You didn't have to agree with what he did and you might not, you know, but at least you realized that he had some sort of reason other than that's just what we always done or something of that nature. So I, I appreciate that. And I do hope he'll find a place somewhere else. Um, guys, you know, we are in the middle of the longest of off days. I know you said in the last podcast y'all were planning to do one on a semi regular basis. Is that still the plan? Just once a month or so to to get in here and wade in the waters?
0: Um, you know I think our plan is yeah maybe maybe kind of monthly but we did also uh <laughs> we did also say that we would record a special one if any uh, big news broke and I think some big news has broken so I think uh <laughs> I think we are uh I think we're going to have to uh, crawl into the uh, Cardinal's off-day studio as well and uh and to record a podcast of our own, but we haven't done that yet. So I think, uh, I think we've probably uh, used all of our A material here, Daniel. So um, <laughs> if anybody, but if anybody wants to come over, we'll, we'll probably have something up in our feed uh, before too long. Uh, <laughs> if they want to, if they, if they want to hear our, our B list ideas, come on over and check those out.
2: I can just send you your files and then you can, you know, cut me out and make it, a, you know, <laughs> save, you, save yourself some time. So, uh, that would work well good. And and if you're not, if you're not following, you know, Ben Godar or B underscore G underscore H, uh, on Twitter, you should be. Um, and if you're not following Cardinals off day, either on Twitter or as their podcast, again, you should probably rectify that because it's always always very entertaining, always very knowledgeable um, to listen to. Guys, I appreciate you joining me tonight. I am glad that we had this scheduled, uh, even if it turned out to be a different topic than we expected. <laughs> and I uh, look forward to having you all on again sometime.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's always so fun talking with you, Daniel.
1: Yeah, thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it.
2: Well, and uh, next week, hopefully, we'll have Mr. Medlock back in the saddle as we'll talk about probably some more of the aftershocks of this as well as whatever else, else is going on in the off season. So until then, I'm Daniel, and those are the bins. Good night. And make sure I get my words right, because um, I got a decent chance of getting fined, and my wife, Michelle, will, you know, gosh darn it. Um,